My general theory is always basically, you know, if this is your sort of the, the solar system or the outer ring of your sort of capabilities, you're always sort of operating close to that. And then over time, you know, ideally that's expanding. So I'd say in any tech organization, any tech role should be, oh, the things that, that are easy for us today or the things that we don't really think about or worry about are things that a year ago we were anxious about and we weren't sure we could do. And the mm. things we struggled with a year ago are things that are easy. Welcome everybody to Upwards, the latest episode to do with tech security and, um, and startup scene here in, in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm joined by Walter Rumsby. Welcome, Walter. Hi. Hi. Walter is, is a longtime friend of mine and a member of the tech community here in NZ. He's also the head of product engineering at Conquer currently and has had a few different roles throughout the local scene here, which we'll talk about in a little while. I've known Walter for probably at least 10 years, and uh, he's also a customer of ours at Onwardly, which we're really grateful for, and a all-round very interesting and experienced guy when it comes to software engineering and, and the like. So welcome, welcome, Walter. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It's good to be here. Very cool to have you here. So we'll be talking a little bit about sort of leadership today, startups and security, a little bit of mixture of everything. We're going to dive into Walter's story, his background. You know, in, in the engineering field, he's been around for a little while, just like, just like a few of us have. And uh, we'll be talking about his journey and his latest into security and his latest, latest gig at Conquer as well. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Phil. I'm founder of Omidly. We're a local startup here as well, helping other companies, especially startups, build, manage, and scale their own security and privacy programs. So we're all about helping make these things super accessible, helping make leaders successful in their roles at security and really helping customers protect themselves <clears throat> first and foremost. So that's what we're all about. And we're hoping to add some value to the conversation by having these weekly chats on our podcast called Upwards. So if you haven't heard of us, never seen us before, then you can subscribe uh, on wherever you get your podcasts to, to Upwards, produced by Almondly. Let's get into it. Welcome again, Walter. Great, great, to, great to see you again. Nice to be here. Nice to be here on such a nice day as well. Indeed, it's finally starting to turn sunny in Auckland after what feels like an eternity of winter. So that's why we're slightly more happier than normal. And that uh, was at hand, as we say, it's our turn to have some of the, the Northern Hemisphere can, uh, can, can go the other way for a change. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to the summer. Walter, you've been around a little while and I'm very keen to kind of hear a little bit more about your story. Perhaps you can share with us, you know, how, how did you get started? How did you end up where you are today? And, uh, and what does that, does that journey look like for you? Yeah, I, I kind of think, you know, from a career point of view, it almost seemed like computers were always going to be what I did. I'm sort of of that generation who, you know, had those sort of Vic 20, Commodore 64, maybe Amigas, Amstrad type computers and had those Osborne programming books. And, you know, so I was writing computer programs from the age of eight. I even wrote programs for my mother to help her do it, to help her at work. And I was like 12 or 13 and it was kind of like a second language for me. So, you know, I guess sort of coming into my career around the age of the web and the web took off, that was also really exciting. And, you know, worked a little bit in New Zealand, worked in Australia, came back to New Zealand. And then I guess over the last almost 20 years, kind of worked right health, zero, my food bag and now at Conquer. So it's been interesting seeing in all of those organizations. I, when I started at zero, there was maybe three or four engineers in, in the Auckland office and, and that office now, as I understand it, is 
as huge. You know, there's hundreds, yeah. hundreds of engineers there. Yeah. And so that, that was very interesting, sort of just from a culture point of view. And, and I know, I remember really distinctly actually having been at Orion for like eight, maybe almost nine years. I was the first six months I was at zero. I was like, I'm actually mainly going to keep quiet and just observe what's different here. And it was funny because I, I felt that there were a lot of differences. And then maybe after six or nine months, we did one of these best places to work surveys, which um, Orion had done several of, and I was sort of surprised that the results were the same. And the sense of the things that people rated highly were the same and the things that people rated poorly the same. So maybe made not the exact same scores, but I guess where people felt positive and where maybe people felt a connection was, was common and where people were sort of frustrated and the things that, that, that they struggled with was also common, even though, you know, my personal experience of the organizations was, was quite different. And I think that probably, I mean, shaped a lot of my thinking about where I am today or what I do today. And, and I guess also in a similar way, like I, when I went to my food bag, you know, previously they had the development being done externally. And so I came in and helped form a team. So again, seeing that it's almost, maybe it's not necessarily the beginning, but seeing a beginning and going through a journey, it's interesting. There's always challenges. There's always problems that sort of seem insurmountable and then you sort of get over them. And I think perhaps the risk of somebody with my experiences now is, is sometimes Maybe everybody else in the room is like, oh my God, this is terrible. And I might be going, oh, this is fine. We've been here before. This is okay. So, you know, maybe over time you kind of lose a little bit, maybe not of empathy, but, but of being attuned to everybody in the room, that might be a thing. Maybe that's, I don't know, but it's not, I mean, I've certainly had that where I felt like people are going, ah, the sky's falling. And it's like, no, it's just a bit of ceiling. It's okay. <laughs> we should deal with that one. Yeah, I I do think that just it comes with experience, really, and I've seen that a few times as as well. It's not that you lack empathy necessarily, but that you you realise there's a bigger, you know, you realise maybe a slightly further view in the distance of what was likely to happen, and I am without as much, you know. Yeah, my general theory is always basically, you know, if this is your sort of the the solar system or the outer ring of your sort of capabilities, you're always sort of operating close to that. And then over time, you know, ideally that's expanding. So ideally like, you know, anyone and kind of, I'd say in any tech organization, any tech role should be, oh, the things that, that are easy for us today, or the things that we don't really think about or worry about were things that a year ago we were anxious about, we weren't sure we could do. And the things we struggled with a year ago are things that are easy. I mean, ideally, right? That's kind of that. Are we, are we growing in terms of capability is probably the way of thinking yes. about that. And it, yeah, ex exactly. And it probably always feels hard at the time, but it's just, you're tackling harder and harder problems as you go. Mm. Like whereas you're exercising, you're getting more fit, but it always feels hard because you're always at the edge of what you can handle and, and grow. That's a, that's good. Actually, a really good segue sort of into into your leadership journey because I mentioned mm. you started out. You know, you're a long time developer. That's you know, a lot of developers, engineers. I've met. You know, literally was the same. Started coding when they were eight years old or ten mm. years old. First system. Eventually, it seems 
inevitable you end up in some sort of leadership position. I think partly your experience, your maturity, the need mm. to mentor younger engineers and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that, that for you, you know, and, and perhaps where you are now and how you, how that journey went for you in terms of leadership. Kind of funnily, in a way, I've always, I think I've always had interest in sort of what I kind of felt like were related concepts like user experience and maybe product management or what the business was doing. So I never really, yes, I never really viewed myself as just a technologist or I never, I kind of, I guess, maybe always believed that I could be better at my job if I kind of understood a broader version of that. So in a way, in kind of every role I've been in, in a way, I'd sort of pipe up and then they're like, oh, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you go and talk to the customer or why don't you go and do this? So, you know, certainly, you know, I haven't been at the sort of role that I have now, you know, for my entire career, but sort of by always sort of showing that kind of interest and that curiosity and wanting to know more, it sort of, I think helped me, you know, it's sort of mutual, like, like by showing an interest to you sort of that interest gets fed generally, you know, and I think, you know, there are certain situations or experiences where, you know, I think certain managers have said, why are you, why, why are you developers talking to each other? You know, and because in that sort of classical way of like, like you need to be typing, typing and you know, the engineers and sort of saying, well, how could we model this? What would this about? What would, what would help us here? Like, like how far forward do we need to go? But those conversations are really vital and yeah. And, 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 you know, there's, I, I think very much in the New Zealand technology scene, it's pretty hard to think of pure consumer technology businesses. I mean, maybe you could say working for say a telco and you're working on like sort of storefront or some sort of, you know, public face, public facing sort of part of their offering, but that's, that's not quite an Uber or a Spotify type thing. So you, New Zealand tech businesses tend to be, you know, you've got, what is that? You know, we do, we do quality assurance for trade contractors in the construction industry. And, you know, we tend to favor people who've got a high compliance need, need or willingness to do compliance. You know, you know, you have the sort of agri-tech businesses, you know, even zero is like, uh, um, you know, focused on a, a vertical, which means that, you know, often I think for developers in those contexts, it's like, it's the concepts and what they're working on isn't necessarily clear to them. They don't quite understand, you know, if somebody says, oh, well, here we go. This is the, the balance sheet screen. It sort of becomes like this sort of, you know what is the balance sheet? Why, why is this important? What is, what does this matter? What, what are people trying to achieve? And I think perhaps maybe in certainly in a B2B context, you probably need to be asking those questions or searching for those answers more, because if you are, you know, you're working on a ride hailing thing, you're like, oh, okay, well, so I push a button on my phone and a car comes great. You know, what if I, what if I'm in a different city, right? Is, you know, there's all these sort of obvious questions that, that arise from that just, just because it's something that you're going to dog food. And so, I mean, there's, there's also that, you know, can you successfully dog food a B2B thing if it's different? I mean, that, that's sort of, um, 
interesting thing. So I guess in a way I sort of, I mean, I, I, no, maybe that sounds a bit silly. So not so much I always sort of rose to the top, but I was always sort of given responsibility, right? Like I sort of was perceived and was selected as somebody who could be responsible. And I think that was around, you know, engaging across the business and showing an interest in sort of answering those questions or reaching understanding of what was going on there. You know, I think kind of, I guess, going back to, you know, my time at zero at that, you know, I was sort of like a practice lead in the front end space. There was an interesting, I don't know, I'm not sure, you know, potentially a perception that front end engineering was different enough from back end engineering. And I don't know, I'm not sure if that created a glass ceiling or something else for moving up in that sort of role. So I sort of, you know, when I went to my food bag, it was, you know, more just a general technology leader. And I think one of the things kind of in, in the front end space, I've always sort of pushed the idea of like, these are just standard software engineering ideas, you know, saying let's read Martin Fowler. I remember seeing Sam Newman, he did a talk with Laura Bell maybe a year ago, and he was saying, sort of saying something similar in that he's like, I don't really know a lot about front end engineering, but I think there are similar concerns. It's all just good software engineering in the end. And so that's probably yeah. part of it too. It's probably part of it as well. Ironically, that's even got more, it's, it's got probably a lot more complicated even since so you were yeah. you were in that situation. You know, I remember 20 years ago, people talking about how HTML was going to be done, just all, you know, done out of a job. There'd never be any need ever for a front end developer. It would all be point and click and, and not like going that way at the time. And then of course the technology's got way, way, way more complicated, ended up being a full-blown discipline in and of itself. Whereas, you know, a lot of designers used to code the HTML <laughs> back in, uh, back, back in agency land. Um, and that's, that's, you know, very much kind of very much changed. I, I wonder if we, yeah. if we, if we kind of just on that, on that point, start to segue just into kind of the security side, because I know you've been mm. part of, you know, some companies which have had to take security quite seriously, you know, obviously, uh, Orion with, with medical data, zero mm. with data. So, so you're no stranger to this environment. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, being an engineering and security leader combined, because what we find is that many folks that we talk to are wearing the CTO hat or wearing the equivalent, you know, head of engineering or that kind of senior practitioner engineering mm. person. They're also kind of lumped with security. You know, it comes in, comes kind of part of the role, part of the package. So they find themselves a security leader in their company as well. Yeah. But as we know, security is more than just a engineering concern. I think that's mm. a really important message for a lot of folks is it's not just security. It's not just engineering. It's not just AWS or it's your, it's, it's for the whole company. Can you tell us a bit about your, your experience with that? Cause I know that you've been on a particular journey around bringing the rest of the company along when it comes to security and, and, and helping, helping, helping convince them it's not just an engineering problem. You talked to talk Yeah. To yeah. And I think, I mean, I guess you and I have probably talked about this a little bit in the past and then you're kind of echoing, you know, what you said about how sort of, you know, people in CTO or whatever role can, you know, those responsibilities can fall to the end. Kind of, it's almost similar, similar, even sort of like general, general IT, right? Depending on the sort of heaviness of the rest of the organization or, or, or the needs of the rest of the organization. You know, I was speaking to a friend of mine who, you know, was working in a similar role in Australia and, and he was like, you know, because uh, we were talking about that point and he was like, yeah, that's sort of something that I, I, I tried to push back on and, and try to sort of create this sort of 
sense of, you know, it is a shared responsibility. Maybe it's kind of funny, I guess, if you mention other organizations and say, think about zero, right? Maybe use zero as a payroll, or, you know, zero as payroll offering, right? It's not the CTO who's logging into the payroll offering to, well, it's probably not to, you know, pay people's wages, right? But there needs to be, you know, or the, or the company bank account or whatever it might be, like there needs to be a high degree of, you know, appropriate security, you know, for the, for, for the risk there. And uh, kind of, I guess, I think it's sort of a, I guess I'd sort of say, you know, like, Hey, it's not, you know, like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be viewed as the responsibility of the computer team or whatever it is, you know, the technology team to, to, to do all of these things. Right. Certainly they could say, here's what we recommend or, you know, here, you know, here's how we're. Here's how we're, you know, in the context of AWS, here's, you know, here's how we, here's how we control access to our environments. Here's the IAM, you know, permissions we give, things like that. But, but there are, you know, there are certain things, again, going back to, unless they're, I mean, partly if the CTO doesn't have access to, or even knowledge of all the systems that are at play in an organization, then it's, it's kind of quite difficult for them to, them to say, you know, can you please lock down system X that I, that I, that I don't know about. And so there's interesting, you know, there's things like onboarding and offboarding, obviously there's things like tools and training that happen, you know, in our case, we've just recently kind of hit the size where we've gone out to an external key provider, right? IT management provider, you know, and this is for, is for things around making sure when somebody leaves, you know, like. A lot of software is licensed per seat. And then if you find somebody who left six months ago and you're like, oh, we've been paying whatever, $80 a month for John's seat and John left six months ago. It's sort of, you know, I mean, and especially in today's that time, like I that money is by, uh, 10 or 20 and the ads are pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, mm. there's, 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 there's kind of day-to-day cost reasons, but there's also, I think, I think there's also an interesting thing. It's sort of funny, like there's this concept of. I don't know, like, like people, people, people under a certain age are supposed to be digital natives, right? As there's a, there's a saying, right? So I think you could, I think normally you could say everyone under 30 is a digital native because the internet's been around ever since they were five or whatever it is, you know, like the consumer internet's existed that sort of late nineties period where computers came into the homes and then, you know, in their late teens or in their twenties, like the iPhone came about, you know. Web 2.0. So there's a lot of familiarity with doing stuff online and, and there's some sort of really interesting stuff. I don't really quite know what she's up to today, but people like Dana Boyd was doing a lot of research about 12, 14 years ago about sort of online behavior of teenagers, right? And so there's pro- probably people have almost like in the sort of social media space, they've sort of evolved this way of being safe and there's sort of this sort of this awareness of scams, but there's still, I think there is still like, that doesn't quite mean that a digital native, I guess, has the same level of knowledge and perhaps learnt paranoia as, yeah. as an implementer and this sort of maybe, you know, yeah. And like in New Zealand, we just had local body elections that, you know, turnout in local body elections is quite low. And so this has led to another round of people saying, well, we should do online voting and then anyone who develops online systems is like, please don't do online voting. Right. So, you know, I, I think there's an interesting thing there just of 
just of understanding what the potential risks are. It's kind of funny that 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 Matt is it Honan or Matt Hohan, the the kind of famous white article from like twenty ten or twenty twelve or something where he he got he got hacked because he his Twitter name was MAT, and basically like they got into a, a whole bunch of his accounts mainly through social engineering and they deleted like his photo library with daughters of the, pictures of his daughter and stuff. Mm. And that for me was actually like quite a, I read that and I, I, that was a real, it was funny. That was a real wake up call for me. Mm. Um, and I know somebody that I worked with at Orion, like previously I'd sort of pointed him at a page of sort of potential exploits, you know, web exploits. And I'd sort of only scrolled about three screens and gone like, here, there's a lot of information here. And he sort of went through the whole thing and sort of came away terrified. And, um, <laughs> um, but, but I guess, you know, I, you know, arguably, you know, like informed and sort of understanding of what the risks were. So I think there's a, how do you responsibly convey the risks and say, you know, even in that, in that offboarding situation, you know, we had somebody leave recently and, you know, I was like, oh, I can still see that they have access to some of the systems that, that, that they could contact customers through. And, you know, as a, you know, so I sort of mentioned this and it's like, okay, the offboarding is ha- being handled by these people. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Just, you know, just consider this situation. There's somebody who's left the company who still has a means to talk to customers. Mm. And it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's a big thing we drill home, you know, to all of our, all of our customers indeed, just anyone listening really is to, is to have really good offboarding, you know, onboarding and offboarding, like a run book, like a script, you know, things that you mm. can follow reliably every single time. And you can do this, you know, you can do the paper if you need to, but the point thing is that you take people out of the systems that they don't need to be in any longer. And even review on a regular basis, review people who have changed roles within the company, for example, mm. you don't now, don't need to be part of those systems because over time you can kind of get that, you know, role creep in terms of, oh, I'm an administrator, mm. so I can see all of this and then all that sort of stuff. So that, that's just really, really foundational stuff and using, you know, and, and that just, I think you, you to your point is it's not just digital native people that, that, you know, it's, it's anyone, whether they're, you know, a really, really smart switched on person who is well clued up with security or whether someone who hasn't been exposed to this or everyone needs to be kind of come under the, the same structure so that you can be consistent across the organization. Okay. Um, okay. Sometimes as engineering leaders, like you've got kind of salespeople and you've got marketing people and you've got engineers and you've got sort of all, all different sort of people going on that, that, you know, you're, some of those people might be kind of in your domain. Some of those people may not, but it sort of falls on that leader to, to ensure that there's some consistency across the organization. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I think maybe that's the other thing that I think about is in terms of communicating that, like, I, I'd sort of say like, you know, I would almost say that that full responsibility for that probably needs to be like, perhaps you've got a, a CTO founded company, right? And the CTO is the CEO. Or, or or whatever. So that that's one thing. But I think where you've got where you do have sort of distinct functions, you know, and, and it's, it's even even when you sort of have a you know somebody in a head of security role um, or, or similar role, their voice saying you should be more you know 
treat your cybersecurity with seriousness might actually not be heard as much as, as sort of, you know, a, a more general leader or, you know, or maybe even a departmental leader, like perhaps, perhaps mm. these, you know, depending on the size of the organization, like I sort of remembered, you know, at an event at zero and, you know, the, our security person sort of came up and said, oh, you know, he's just going to say something. And he said, oh, you know, it's a hamlet Wi-Fi, so be careful. And, and it's sort of interesting, right? Because there was a little bit of mole. He's always saying that, right? He's always worried about security and potentially that message coming from somebody else might've had more weight to it. So I think, I think that's also mm -hmm. part of it. Like, because mm -hmm. definitely if you compartmentalize it to, I mean, I think there's that sort of, if you compartmentalize it to the kind of software delivery team, you're all, you're also sort of expanding their email in an implicit way. So make that explicit, but potentially they don't even have the visibility or the kind of cross company sway to land that message with conviction. Except you're having that sort of executive sponsorship, super powerful when you've got members of that leadership team that people do listen to that aren't the people just trying to say no or whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah. and having them repeat those messaging points and repeat them really publicly in your standups on your slacks or your messaging mm. channels and then lead by example. There's one way you can be, you know, get the message out there kind of loud and clear. This is not just, you know, something to slow the company down, but it's an important part of the way that we, the way that we operate. And you know, that, that, that gets harder to do as you get bigger, but it's really, really important. I mean, it is interesting. <laughs> Last year seemed to have a lot of a lot of those high profile supply chain attacks, and I mean, I guess there's been the Optus thing recently, but it hasn't quite had the same kind of ironically. There was a bit of weight to, you know, because some of those breaches sort of got quite seemed to get get known about quite publicly at a general general sort of public level, and I mean, it sort of sounds a little bit like, you know, there was. The, the benefit, that sounds a bit crazy, but the benefit to that was, you know, understanding, hey, even quite capable organizations that try to do the right thing, you know, they can make mistakes. And, and you know, we, and, you know, certainly I know organizations you've been a part of do try to run like a blameless kind of post-mortem process, you know, because it's that acknowledgement of, it's sort of like, you know, you put, we're, we're trying to put as many locks on the door as possible. Or, you know, as many, as many safety measures as, as, as there are, but, you know, even then, you know, something might happen. And so, you know, just have you, have you, are you trying to the appropriate degree? Do you have ways of observing, you know, whether or not, or understanding whether or not a problem has happened? Do you have a response plan? You know, and, and sort of, I, I think... You know, like, you know, certainly, you know, I guess if you get to maybe like an Optus style sort of situation, like it's, I mean, it probably ends up having to be the CEO or, you know, even the publicity department perhaps having to write front foot on that, like. On the board potentially as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's everyone involved at that point. hundred percent. So. It's probably useful for those roles to have an awareness that this could happen and what, what might 
happen and what they might have to do. And then, you know, that starts to sound a bit unpleasant. So they're like, well, what's happening? What's happening mm. to stop, stop us having to do this? Those, those are healthy conversations to have. Like, and, and, you know, I was just talking to Kendra Ross a few weeks back about, about mm. this, about board level, and it's about identifying what are we protecting, you know, mm. ultimately how are we going to protect that? And let's walk through the scenarios that, that could unfold in a healthy, healthy conversation to have, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable is like, what, what are they like, what are the most likely scenarios to happen for us to experience a breach and how do we respond to that? And by thinking about that and even rehearsing that response, mm. you're in a better position because we can't necessarily prevent everything, but we can certainly change how we respond to it. And that often makes a huge, a huge impact as well. And so having a plan for that. And what that looks like is, is something you can do with, and I think necessarily is done with the leadership team. It's done with your colleagues. It's done with the whole company and not just, not just the engineering team. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think I've been, like we, we recently had a, a leadership offsite, you know, the senior leadership of the company and, you know, the facilitator there kind of asked us quite an interesting question and, and it was basically. He said to everybody there, okay, what's, what's your primary team here at this organization? Who's the primary team that you work with? And I, I don't remember, I don't remember exactly the answers, but you know, for the most part, people sort of identified with their functional team like that. If I'm the head of X, then my primary team is X. And the kind of facilitator sort of said to us, like, well, I've challenged that. I'd say your primary team is actually this team and you know. At, at that level, you're responsible for the running of the company across the functions. And then, you know, your secondary team are those functional teams and, you know, you're kind of enabling people on those teams to you know, do their work, right. But with the context and, and sort of, you know, coming, you know, coming to agreement, I guess, across the organization saying, mm, well, actually mm. we do have to sort of shift priorities or we do have to focus on this sort of thing. And that was. That was, I think that was a really good message. I think, you know, for some people it was a bit of a, oh, okay. And, you know, certainly, you know, one of the kind of takeaways for me from that was sort of almost like trying to make sure and look out for, are we, are we tending into functions or are we collaborating and how do we collaborate and how do we bring voices across, you know, across the needs of our company, because everybody is, uh, you know, everybody is operating, you know, focusing on their priority and, and their, their, I guess their focus yep. sort of shifts. And so there needs to be a way of sort of, I guess, talking through that and coming to a, ah, oh, okay, because you're trying to do X, you know, I understand you're trying to do X. That's difficult for us or that's at odds with what we're doing here or we didn't know that it's easy for us to do something about that but that doesn't really happen unless there is that sort of mm. collaboration 100 percent. I, I think that's a certainly was a learning for me in, in a previous role and i think i've sort mm. of seen this is repeated you know you're if you're a cto or, or, or in a part of the executive team you know your first team is no longer your your functional team it's the exec team mm. And you make decisions and you collaborate and you have a wider view of the whole business, you know, this includes security and you work with them to deliver what the business needs. Cause you're ultimately, you're now tasked with the success of the business, not just the success of the engineering team, but, mm. but the whole company. 
And, and certainly that's, if you have a voice at that table, which hopefully you do, or, or you know, someone that does, then, then that's the place to really raise those kind of concerns and collaboration, collaborate on, on security measures for the company, right? Because often it doesn't matter if it's your team that, that, that gets, you know, that, that causes a breach with someone else, it's, the, it's still going to affect the company. And so, so the, com- about- the company, sorry, the customers don't necessarily go, customer oh, function X is great functions. You know, Y and Z are terrible. One relationship and that's with the whole company. Typically. Mm-hmm. Right? So engineering leaders, you know, very much should be thinking about that. If you're in a size of a company that's, that's kind of, you know, you don't have a dedicated security person, you are often it, then that, that's, you know, that's definitely a part of your role typically, and you might share it with a few other people, but typically it's on you and you can play a really important role in that and make sure that the company's safe. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, we're, we're at about time. Yeah, Walter, this is super interesting. I think we could like we could talk sort of for about ten hours here, and maybe we'll, we'll do it again at some point. But thank you very much. Thanks for lending us your insights and your time today, and uh, we really appreciate it. Awesome. All right, thank you, and enjoy the uh, enjoy the weather. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, if you're listening to this, hopefully it's sunny where you are. Thank you again. This is Upwards, the podcast for security and tech leaders brought to you by Elmodley. Don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcast and join us again next time for more on security, startups and leadership.